um, your advice on dealing with second language learners, especially in a play-based environment. Um, whereas traditional schools we worked in before, other people work in, they're teaching the kids, you know, they're doing a class on colours, they're doing a class on how to say, how is the weather, oh, it's a sunny yeah. day, it's a cloudy day. But then when you're just letting the children play, how are you going to give them the English input? Because really with the private education, that's what parents are paying for too. They're paying for them to learn English as a second language. Yes. Yes. And, and it's, um, it's something kind of having worked in, um, in, in international schools is a, is a, is a, it's a real challenge because when children, it's kind of, when children are playing, they're kind of not in your control as such in inverted commas, aren't they? They're kind of, they've gone off if you like. And we feel that sense of well, that we're not getting to that, getting to them. So the, the temptation is to try and keep them in so we can kind of almost dump language on top. Yes. <laughs> um, and I completely understand that. It, it, it's, um, it, it, it is, it's a real challenge. It's not to say that it's easy, but one of the things is, is about as best as we can, this is why I'm so pro co-playing with children. So children don't, they don't, they don't go off away from you. You go with them. You go, you are the co-adventurer into their play and you're sprinkling the language over the top because ultimately children pick it up through modeling, don't they? Yeah. Now when, when like in a, in a, if you were, if, if, if you were, if you were with children whose lang first language was English, you'd have different models of language, different confident confidence within language that children as they're playing would, I talk very much about cross-pollinating. So children cross-pollinate with language, with skills, with risk, with roles, how to do things. Children watch one another, don't they? Because actually children learn more from other children than they do from us in terms yeah. of the skills. I greatly believe that. But the one thing is language because it's, it's kind of outside of their, you know, particularly for the second language. So it's about trying to utilize as much as we can those that co-play where we're going in and sprinkling. And then when we when we draw them out of play or out of co-play back into a carpet time session, which I call in in kind of going playing out not play, because it's because you're not playing mm -hmm. with children then, instead making sure that what we deliver to children at that point is a little bit like a base camp on the adventure where you're pulling everyone back to base camp draw breath right here's a next set of skills and making that quite simple and then off we go again now i made that sound like it's really easy but it's <laughs> not it really isn't I, and i appreciate that but it's trying to get i believe it's trying to get the balance children still need to have because also what we're not doing is we're not just building children that can talk in english we're also building identity what children believe in themselves and if we're forever pulling them off to come to me come to me come and learn this bit then we're eroding their sense of who they are yeah in terms of their competencies and what they can do and to me that's really important that's vital but i understand that parents aren't paying for for identity mm -hmm. they're paying for as you know for english aren't they or yes. a language so i can imagine that the pressures are quite are quite hard on that but I would at least like to think that they could be explored in play. And as you probably both would hopefully agree, is that play is more meaningful, not play, sorry, language is more meaningful when it's in play because yeah. it's got the purpose rather than 
the worksheet, what is this animal? If we can go into the play and there are those things, then we can start sprinkling the skills over the top. But hands up, I admit it's not easy. But you know, should it be easy? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's difficult. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. And, and I've been thinking about my own practice in terms of, should I be doing more observations of children or should I be more a co-player and let my other team be more involved in, okay, what are they doing? Looking more carefully at what they're doing, why they're doing it. Yeah. To have that documentation and sure. then changing my role is, do I need to be the guy just sitting down observing them, seeing what they're doing? Or do I need to be the person who's actually yet playing with them? So yeah. I, they're getting that input. I think, I think one of the things that I would, and again, it all depends on the, the school or setting that we work in and kind of what the expectations are. I think part of it is coming back to what our written observations do for us. If they move our understanding of children forward and they move our, our practice forward, then I, then I would say written, you know, uh, an emphasis on written, however that is on photos or whatever is really useful, like the documentation. And I know, of course, in Reggio, documentation is, is plays a real central part, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. what you're doing is it's almost like it kind of goes back to what, how I feel about children is that children are trying to tell us a story about themselves. And our documentation, in a way, is they're kind of storytellers of their own adventure, if you like. And we are almost like in that privileged position where we can see the story unfold before our eyes. So what we do with that um, tends to be our documentation. But there can be a danger that if I'm forever with a piece of paper and a pen and it's like this or I've got my iPad and I'm creating that shield between me and the child or children. And sometimes children know that you're coming over to take that photograph. So it becomes, and again, that's a really, there's no right yeah. or wrong, but it's trying to somehow get the balance i i personally really like dialogue as a means of documentation within the team that i'm working in so i often believe if we write something down sometimes it can just it's almost like we're, we're writing as we write that observation is dying because it's yeah. not going anywhere it to, to a degree but if I've got it and, I've, and I'm able to talk to my colleagues about what I've seen it's fresher it's got I don't know it to, to me it's always felt more alive by having the by having the discussion but that's not to say that you can't do the observation and then go and discuss with 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 with, with adults too but there's there is a point where it gets in the way of play and children don't no longer see us as players and they see us as what we're trying to do. We're trying to engineer things so that we can, you know, and again, we, we will do it, but it's that really it's trying to, I, I, I'm a great believer in, in almost not knowing where my iPad is or not knowing where my pad is or whatever I use because I'm so immersed in the play. The magic of children has just swept me away. And what I'm doing is I'm learning all the time about children. So again, it kind of, tips into the Reggio bit about researching with children, isn't it? We're yeah. researching children and we're researching childhood itself. How do children use resources? So in, I don't know if I talk about it in the first book, but certainly I'm pretty sure I talked about it in the second one, about the seventh sense of children. And the seventh sense being the ability that children have to see the infinite universe in, in an object. So they don't, they just see it. They don't just see a block. The block has that infinite 
I mean, I, I'm actually currently writing a, an, an, another book based around it, which is called The Hidden Soul. And it's the hidden soul of objects that children see, but adults don't. It's a bit like if you have recycling, you know, a cardboard box comes, the adult sees a often, box. It's a box, and you're looking to, it's, it's a pain because you've got to recycle it. Now, if you're early years, of course, straight away you go, oh, I'll take it into school because the children can do yeah. it. But that's because we know. We know that the children have got that seventh sense because the moment you put a box in front of them, they will reimagine it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's a very, you know, that's, that's a very kind of Reggio idea, isn't it? And that, uh, there's that lovely book. Is it, I think it's called Remida, which is a Reggio book. And it, 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 on one of the pages, it's like quotes from young children. That One of the children says, objects have the right to be whatever they choose and i love that i mean that that's not it's not that's not it um verbatim but it's it's something along those lines and what we're doing when we're researching is we're seeing how children interpret the world mm-hmm. and as we then take those observations it's almost like that my belief is it it kind of feeds into me so the next time i'm co-playing and i've already seen that children will transform certain objects in a way and when i go and co-play with children if that play just needs my energy as the co-player i can take what i've discovered from children and bring it into the play of of these other children and these children will latch onto it more because it's not come from me it's come from the ideas have come from children so i'm almost like a vessel through which children does that make sense like they they pass their energy through me onto other children yes you know, and I'm in a real privileged position where I now, you know, I travel a lot, we used to, before COVID came along, travel, and I would, you know, be, go all over the world seeing different play in different places. And I could take some of the play that I'd seen in Brunei and go and drop it in Scotland and take the play from Scotland and go and drop it in Bulgaria. Or And it's like this, because children just see children. Yeah. Ultimately. It's like a, you know, it's the universal language of play, I guess. That was a really long-winded explanation of, of, of observations, but, but ultimately it's about why we take them and what yep. are observations showing us? What are they revealing to us about children? Well, um, I was thinking from, you spoke about your second book, which we haven't read yet. Um, I read, just said read the third book, yes. got a whole page of uh, quotes just in case we need, to, <laughs> we need to bring them up to you. Because uh, like, when I read your book, I was read on Kindle. I always have my Kindle. And it's just more highlighted and unhighlighted bits. You know, <laughs> like quotes. You probably wrote more than I did, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yes. yes. But uh, your second book, we wrote about your first book in our on our blog about uh, why yeah. you would read it. Um, lots of luckily, lots of teachers in China do speak English, so they can access that your first book too. But yeah. many don't. Uh, what's the second book about? So the second book, um, it's it's called School and the Magic of Children. And it's kind of a companion piece of the first book, but it's talking about the, I talk about the soulification of children. Um, and that by that, it means it's about this idea of identity and who children are and, and, and play, play is in children's DNA. You mm. cannot extract it. It's in there. It's in yours. It's in mine. We, we have it within us and it's it just pumping through their blood all the time. And the idea is to sort of try, it was a, the, the first sort of half of it is a, is a kind of exploration of that and how to reflect on our own practice. So I, I created something called the magic mirror, 
which is a tool that you can hold up to yourself. I know it's everything's magic in my world, <laughs> but the magic mirror um, is, is a toolkit that you hold up to your practice to see whether you as the adult have added to childhood or eroded it. So you score yourself on kind of your interaction. So it picks out 10 things that children need to build their identity or to be soulified. Yeah. And so within an interaction, a lesson, a day, a year, a week, or whatever, you hold that up and the magic mirror will tell you, regardless of what progress the children have made, have you actually added to who they are and who they can become? So I kind of created it as like a challenge to schools because often schools very much are, and you could argue rightly so about progress. We all want skills for children, but it was kind of trying to show that through play, there is another way of doing it mm. and there's another way to explore it. And then I then, the, the final parts of the book is there's something I created, which is called Drawing Club. And Drawing Club is a way of opening up the world of story to children through drawing. Uh, it's a really powerful, really powerful way to work with children. It's lovely. Um, and again, Reggio practitioners would, would probably love it because it's kind of sort of based a little bit on the atelier idea. Mm -hmm. But it is, um, it is kind of sort of, you do bring children to you to do it. So it's a moment of not play. But it, it kind of opens up this magical world of story, basically, with children. I, I call it book snuggling. So you snuggle in with a book with children and you do drawings around it. And then the, the last bit of the book is about something called play projects and play projects is like a framework that I've created that you can put over play so that adults can understand it. And that so play can go up through school and where play projects have happened in schools, play and continuous provision has managed to go all the way up to year six in some schools through play projects. So that's really exciting. So I was trying to just sort of, I guess the book is just trying to turn it around and try and send play upwards with children because ultimately when does, at what age does childhood end? Well, in most schools, when you're five, it seems sometimes even four. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. So, so, but we know that it doesn't. And so it's trying to as well, I, I greatly believe it's a book for parents too, because the idea is what I would love to happen is childhood becomes a thing that parents look for. Yeah. Yes to have English, of course, and yes to have skills, but it's childhood because you get one once and then it's gone. And there's so much building that we do of ourselves within childhood. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of what it's about. And uh, it was, a, it was, it was kind of, yeah, it was a really meaningful book for me to write because I hopefully kind of go and play now was written really passionately, but school and the magic of children, I hope went, one level up one step and i wrote it from right from in here well that's, that's what you, I, your first book um i felt like you just reading like okay this is someone who's like really putting his heart on his sleeve here with telling you about early years um particularly what you mentioned in your second book about the stories um uh one thing we have with parents is they're very interested in or desiring wanting their children to learn to read at an early age yeah. i think part of this comes from you know, the academic schools say, well, children from zero to six are very adapt to learning. So that's the best time we, they can really learn it because their brains are really working that age. But we know that's not true. Um, we write a lot of articles about how 
you don't need to teach a, three, a three-year-old to read yet. You know, the yeah. first part is get them to love stories. Yeah. Yeah. And so, why don't you tell us about with your experience with how you do that, how you develop yeah. a love of stories, and how that then later develops into reading. So, so one of the things, um, a really good question as well, and, and I think it's something that a lot of practitioners find hard because the challenge is, is that, that often parents, are, are in, in the second book, and I think maybe in the first book, I talk about the ghost from the past. Adults carry the ghosts from what went before their school experiences, what they think school is. Mm-hmm. Often, if you, ask a ch- if you ask a parent to draw what school is, they will draw a desk because they're carrying the ghost from secondary school and increasingly from primary school but that that isn't school or is what it might be but it 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 doesn't have to be and the idea is in a way if we're going to open up a world to children because the world of story is utterly magic but we own it's a little bit like one childhood once we only really get one chance to open it up to children because the moment we make it boring they won't want to go anywhere near a book ever again, probably. Yeah. If you make it into something quite laborious. So one of the one of the things is through co-playing is to be making up stories as we go along. So often when we think of play, we think of play as being with physical objects. But actually, and I'm doing some work on it now, I'm creating something um, around the sounds within words. It's also about playing with words. So there's playing with words, playing with ideas, playing with playing with objects, playing with stories, playing with friends, playing with risk. These are all the things that play are. And like I said right at the start, is that, that play is its own story within itself. And children are desperate to tell you that story of themselves. One thing that we have that they don't have is a library of stories in our brain that we can share with them. And it's because they don't, they don't, you know, they, they don't, they're not born knowing Jack and the Beanstalk or, or whatever stories that we, that we know. And it's a great responsibility to share these with children so that we light up that magic world because it is a door that opens and we go in with them. And the job is as best as we can to make it as exciting as we can. So playing with words and language is a really important one. Just, you know, making up silly words, those kind of like, breaks up the small building blocks of language and being seen to enjoy them so that the the the, what we have to get in terms of the curriculum from children isn't about just getting things that's the side it's almost like that goes to the side we're just going to give you this whole kind of i don't know this, this this whole experience of joy and within it there's all kinds of things the curriculum but also things beyond the curriculum because play is not a curriculum mm-hmm. play is just a way of exploring um and what i tend to do I, I certainly choose if i'm going to bring children to me to have story and share in it i make sure the story that i choose is absolute gold dust i don't just reach for the first book to, to keep i've got like a library of books that i know are going to so things with lots of lift the flat books things that i can adapt so uh one of the books not now bernard and if you know that one where the character gets eaten by the monster the, the <laughs> moment you know that it's a great book but the moment you change that book as you read it to them and you choose one of the children on the carpet to be within the book you take you know not physically but like 
you take their name and suddenly they're going to get eaten by the monster you've got them yeah they're just in and all the other children will be in because now it's about their friend and not about the book and it's also about um i'll just grab a book so this one here for example it's also how we model holding books often a book is something like it's outside of us we, we sometimes and i used to do this in my practice i get a book and i just throw it down on the floor like i did i'd finished the book and i just put it down but actually just and i'll just move the things so you can just see so when children come in we're holding a book like this to our chest as if it's something we're hugging a book and it's something really really special they see that books are special that we believe they're special and i'm a great believer in that is 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 how we how we read to children in terms of you know action in terms of how we might use use the book itself um often so this one here which is um good night owl so right at the end this is a bit of a this is a bit of a uh, um uh, i tell you what the end of the book is but at the end when the owl wakes up often if i'm reading it with children hopefully i've read it in a tone that's really got them in i will go like that really quickly right in front of one of the children's for the first time i've read it and they'll be like <gasps> because it is quite shocking because that's yep. something I've woken everybody up. So they are, the way I use the book brings them into the story. I also really like to have really good quality books around in my provision as well, because I'm a, um, I've been doing a little bit of writing about it in the way that this one's not so, this one's not so good. Can I just get, a, is it right just get a book and I'll show yeah, you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm also a great believer in getting lost in pictures. I think it's really important for children. So I'll just show you this one, for example. Um, books themselves. So this is a ladybird book about trees. So I'm not suggesting it's for a three-year-old, but three-year-olds <laughs> would look at it. They don't get to read it. But I don't know if you can see there the, the, the beautiful picture illustration there. So on the here we've got the adult world, what the adult world is telling you about the book. So this is that the, the author gets, you know, telling you all about the trees. But really. The beauty of ladybird books is that you can daydream about that yeah massively because i don't know if you can see there's like some people sat under the tree yeah. and i want to go and sit with them so what are they eating for the picnic and who lives in this tree and what's over the hill and how old is the tree and is there a magic key that you turn and then there's a doorway to so all of those things that children will do but they might not tell us but they will when they look at pictures but it's about the quality of books that, that we have Mm -hmm. um, I'm also a great believer in in messaging with children so that's in school the magic of children and that's you can do that with two-year-olds and it's just amazing so I'll tell you about the messaging do you want to know about that yes, please Next writing. so so um, the me I basically created something called the message center and what you do is you you do hiding and finding of messages with children so the idea is, is you draw symbols so I'll show you this one um, which is that there see that there yeah becomes that you that becomes the secret symbol and you you just say to one of the children would they like the secret symbol and of course they don't know what the secret symbol is but they will want it because the teacher the co-player if you've got this culture of co-playing and if you say to them i'm going to put it in the velcro of your shoe or in the lace of your shoe and you you pop it in and you say but don't show your best friend over there what will the child do? Probably show his friend. <laughs> yeah. But you want him to or her yeah. to. You want them to. 
because the friend will come over and what will they want? They want to see it. They want, they want, they to want to see it, it but they, they will want one for themselves. And then you say, so you go, okay, so I'll draw you this, 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 so you draw it again, put give it to them, but you say, well, whatever you do, don't go and show your best two friends over there. And of course they'll do it, then those two will come over because they want one. And then that's where you get pieces of paper. You have what's called a message center, which is basically a writing table but you have it right in the middle of the room because it's important and you're going to have joy about mark making because let's not be, I'm, I'm a great believer of not being afraid of mark making or mathematics yeah, or writing. It's a joyous thing to have. It's, a, it's an amazing gift to give children. Um, or, or you just go and hide, you know, you, you'd say to children, let's go and hide the secret symbol underneath someone's place in the, in the, uh, on the rug. So when they're sitting on the carpet, they won't know that the secret symbol's underneath their bottom. Now, if you're three years old, that's just the most joyful thing in the world because you've hidden something. Yeah. Um, and there's there's many ways of doing of using the secret symbol. The, the great thing about it is that if children can do that, draw it themselves, it's crossing the, the midline. So it's a really good way to see whether if children developmentally are approaching hand, being ready for handwriting. Yeah. And, it, and it's the start of reading, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. identifying symbols. Yeah. They, yeah. They're desperate to do it. And so you then just start leaving symbols for children all over in their welly boots, just under tables, on each other's backs, on, on, on. And what we're doing then is you, know, you make um, uh, like woolen tails like, out of bits of wool. And you say to the children that they can put them, stick the messages on your tail or they can put them on your back. Um, lots of children like doing this. With, this is probably why they like me coming in when I do messaging. They like putting them in my beard. <laughs> <laughs> But then they're gone and of course then you know or, or i'm gonna get that stuck now um but what we're doing is is we're we are there's a really deep psychological connection to hiding and finding yeah there's a deep connection within what because I, I talk about creating a play culture if we've created a play culture the moment i say to a child would you like this they will want it because it's from me and the, the world of play is the world of good things and I am in the world of good things and the children are in the world of good things. And what I've got here is in the world of good things. So they will want to do it. And as it goes on, as phonics gets taught, this secret symbol, then what happens as children develop their understanding, this starts happening. So now we've got the secret letter. So it's not just a letter. It's now a secret letter. And just by using the word secret, it's got something exciting. Yeah. And there's whole loads of different layers. So it goes all up to secret sentences eventually. As, but you're doing it at the cusp of children's confidence. And it's extraordinary when it goes. It's just amazing. Because you, you, if you say to children uh, at the end of the day, everyone have a secret symbol. And when you get home, so do you, uh, in, in your school, do they have caps to take home? Because so some... Do they wear caps at all, little hats? They leave it at school. Yeah, they do. We recently just got our uniforms. So it's, the, the children have only just got their school uniform. They've got, oh, okay. They've got their yeah, hat. They've got their hat. Yeah. But if you, if you say to the children to put, the, put it on their head and then put the message under their hat, or like you get you, you roll the, the cuff up on their yeah. now it's under here, or if you've got girls or boys who wear headbands and you tuck them in the headband, and then what they do is they're going to go home and they're going to take that message out and go and hide it somewhere at home. But don't show mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to be a bit careful about mystery. 
yeah. that, that secret. So often you, I would either, if, if, if I'm working in a community that's not comfortable with secret, you just call it the mystery mark. So you can yeah. still do it, um, but it's extraordinary. It is a, it's an amazing way to do it. And, and children, I mean, I've worked in schools doing it where children who have not picked up a pencil for three months, we couldn't get them out of the message center because it was that. And there's loads of different layers to it all. There's like, uh, they, they, they become characters and it all leads on to something called Adventure Island, which is something I've created, but that's another thing. But that's like the very highest level of messaging and it's just, yeah, it's wonderful. So I have no problem with mark making with children because I'm doing it in that way and I'm doing it whereby I'm trying to show that there's a joy in it. Yeah. I think that comes down back to what play is, isn't it? It's yeah. one activity can or cannot be played. It just depends on whether the children want to do it. Absolutely. If you're making them do it, yeah. it's not play. But if they want to do it, then it's play. There's no like, oh, they shouldn't be writing yet. That's not play. It doesn't matter. As long as they want to and they have a desire to do it, then, you're, then they're in play. Absolutely. And when you're in play, what messaging does eventually, it transforms into magic spells. So what happens is that, that, that let's say children are playing with a cooker, then it's that that switches the cooker on. Okay, yeah. So the message transforms something. So if they've built something, they've built a rocket, say, then they'll, and, and again, this could be a sentence. It could be anything, depending on the level that the child's working at. And this is where progress comes through play because you're always working where the children are at. So... But let's say there was this, and it would be this that would make the rocket launch into space. And without it, it won't launch into space. And the if you've got a play culture, the children will believe you. You're not tricking them. What you're doing is you're making a real purpose for mark making. And they'll just, so you can say to them, you can do it with numbers. You can go, did you know that every single rocket, so that the oxygen tanks work, have to have the number 100 on it somewhere? And they'll yep. go, oh, yeah, great, go on then. And I'll either model it. <laughs> Or they go and do it. And the reason they'll do it is because they've built the rocket and they're emotionally connected to the rocket. And so what it does is with messaging, because we can talk forever and a day about whether it's appropriate for three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds to read or write, but I'm not in any position to change it. I can't, I can't, I can't stand up to my, to my school or my education authority and go, well, do you know what? It's too early. I'm not going to do it because I would lose my job. Yeah. Also failing the children because they're going to go through a system where they do have to do it. So it's about trying to find ways to make it at least super exciting. Yeah. Which is kind of what the message center is. It's, it is a really lovely way to work with children. And then would the children do that as well? Would they then use the symbols, the secret messages, yep. and then make their own, oh, this, I made this and this will make the rocket absolutely into three pieces whatever, whatever yeah. it would be so a, a, a secret symbol can even just be that it yeah. can be anything depending on what children are at you know what level they're at you know i've i've, I've even given children pieces of paper that big and said to them i've got and you'd only do this for children that are ready for it and that's the thing but you'd say to them okay on there to make your to make your um like if they've built a den say you'd say did you know that every den has got a secret password to get in through the force field and because i'm the co-player they they will think that there's a force field they'll want a force field because a force field is really exciting to have and you just say to them 
but it's got to have a secret sentence. And children will try and write a secret sentence on that piece of paper really, really small because they want to do it. So you, then you've got fine motor and on and yep. on it goes. It is really exciting. It is a really exciting way to, and, and thankfully lots of schools are, are exploring the message center at the minute. Um, and you know, the joy is, is just spilling out of them because they can't stop children from wanting to mark make because suddenly it's become part of the play. That's so really that's good. I'm going to steal that idea <laughs> if, I <ever> get, <laughs> if I ever get back to China. <laughs> yeah, no, spread it. it it's, um, it's, it's a really, really wonderful way to work with children. It really is. I can guarantee if you, get, if you really get to play it, and it fits beautifully with Rego along the way, because yeah. you're, you're just in with the children, and it's about the joy. Um, is the Adventure Island, is that connected to your Play School TV? Yeah. It, it is, yes. Because we so, watched a few videos, we didn't know about it until maybe a few <laughs> weeks ago when I said to Mickey, oh, yeah. you should read this book. And then we, I think we followed you on Facebook and then we mm -hmm. saw like the links to the uh, yeah. school TV, which is really interesting because that's similar to the symbol making. I saw you, yeah. know, you're going into the trees, you're finding letters on like yeah. natural materials and things and introducing yeah. that with the stories with your dogs. So, yeah. um, so it's kind of, that, that in a way is, a, is an attempt to demonstrate to educators as well as children that play within its within the essence of play there is everything if you drew a circle and you said put everything that you want for children where would it go in the circle of play or outside of it it would all come in the circle of play there's nothing you can't put outside the circle of play it's got everything from well-being health mindfulness joy physicality it's got everything and it's also got learning when we go and co-play so the idea is that the dogs are kind of like my children because they're the ones that are inquisitive and you've probably noticed that e epi the little brown one mm -hmm. is always with me and bonnie my jack russell just always goes off always like, way, right? <laughs> i'm always talking to her off camera wherever i set up because i have to do it I normally do it in one in one take in one shot and normally as soon as i get the camera out she just walks off but the idea is to model to, to, to educators how to do messaging. It's like this magic, the magic, magical bit. But Adventure Island itself is an approach to outdoor learning, but it also comes in whereby what you do is you create a magical world of imagination and you go and explore it together. So it's like a map that exists outside in your in your outdoor space. And the beauty of it is you don't need any money. It literally costs nothing to do. And you just raise this landscape out of the ground. Characters start populating it. And in its I mean it's something I'm insanely passionate about. It, it's just a beautiful way to work with children. And it can be done. I'm I'm, I'm there's a quite a few schools now that are interested in adapting it for the whole school we'll up to year six up to you know 11 year olds um and i've got kind of lo lots and lots of plans for adventure island it's going to hopefully become my life because it's just something that i'm i don't know it, it's there's something magical about it it's kind of taking this like the magic of yep. going into a storybook it's kind of basically like a living storybook ultimately so i'm glad you've enjoyed it it keeps me occupied i think the dogs are really tired from walking around <laughs> so much but at the perfect length they're in like five 10 minutes yeah five minutes nice and short, yeah. which is well lots of parents in china always ask us oh we want resources how can we mm. no they'll watch pepper pig for example because that's in china they'll do that stuff but yeah. for, oh this is something a lot of parents would really like 
because yeah. one you're giving them also what they consider the academics you're giving them some phonics and letters and numbers and stuff yeah but then you also give them the nature and yeah. then english too as well and it's all very yeah. simple and easy to follow they kind of gave me memories of watching fred rogers you know yeah. it's kind of very yeah. nice natural, yeah. no cartoons nothing funny yeah. it's people and nature yes it's kind of it's very much ensconced in the idea that of simplicity um lots of the world now is very very fast children seem to want to it's that you know it's all on phones and digest really quickly but it's kind of the idea is just to slow it down so there's several episodes where there's a really beautiful family of deer live in the woods and there's one little uh, one little deer what would you call it? a fawn a fawn who uh, the farmer rescued it from the field when he was about to do some uh, um, combine harvesting and anyway he noticed the deer had just pretty much been born was lying in the field so he picked it up and moved it into the wood and it seems like ever since that's happened that little deer is really fascinated by people so whenever i'm filming in that particular part of the wood she or he comes over to us and it's just i don't know it's just like time stops and there's the deer and it's kind of like that feeling that i'm trying to get that it's just some some simplicity because ultimately that's what play is play is very very complex but it's also got a simplicity mm -hmm. and it's being open to the simplicity and, and it not being like duh, 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 with learning and trying to show that when you play you can take learning anywhere so like there's no episode where it's just maths there'll always be language and you know language a little bit of maths a little bit of writing maybe a bit of reading bit of conversation with the dogs it's 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 all because that's what play is it doesn't just go well i'm only going to do this it does everything so i'm glad you're enjoying it i, I enjoy making it it's good fun what we're about 80 84 episodes yeah i saw youtube <laughs> now yeah Shame, the, the only put in china we can't access youtube yeah um so it'd be great if we could uh find a way to get some on a platform where chinese people can see it too yeah no absolutely it's something to to try and explore that i do have um i have got a subscription magazine that goes with it which is it's like it's like three pounds fifty a month but you can it's for schools to buy and then they can go and share it out so that so parents don't spend 350 each it's a resource that you can then just buy 350 each month and it's like 30 pages and so what it does is it expands the the learning even more so it kind of sort of trying to show to parents that this is a magazine that you snuggle into mm -hmm. and you you show children you don't expect them to tell you so that might be of interest as well but i'm not here to sell anything so i'll show you <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you know people that would be interested in um in, in translating it or or you know then then i'll be really open to the conversation because you know it's out there it's I, did, I created it for free while i'm in lockdown um and it all feeds into adventure island so the more that find out about it the better yeah oh that play can help children like develop like mentally mm -hmm. physically or as bad you mentioned too but like it's difficult for parents and some educator to understand that they will like they always want to see the result quick okay children learn this this month children learn that like this week so like how can we like like letting the parents and educators to know more about how like play help the children like even though some educators we met they they believe play is very good good for the children 
but they still like will give up on the pressure parents give them okay because parents want to see that their children learn like phonics like uh, in these months so i have to teach to make the parents happy so do you have any like advice for these like educators like one of the things and, and it is really challenging that is really hard especially when you work for a school where you are there because you're ostensibly being employed by the parents to a degree mm -hmm. aren't you kind of in the funding from the parents so that you know they 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 want they they want a certain experience for their children i think one of the things that i'm really passionate about is trying to demonstrate to parents the need for children to have a childhood and it's about trying to take them back to their own childhoods and what was it about their childhoods that was so magical and even if you haven't had a great childhood because not everybody does i would think i would hope that parents would want a different experience for their children yes we want we do we want children to be able to read and write of course we do but everything in everything in time when children are ready it's this whole idea of the readiness we want we want children reading when they're two or we want them reading when they're three because somehow what it's going to do is set this course where the universities of the world await i understand that and if you're in a position where you can buy you know you can access a market if you like and that's what you want for your children i completely understand that but it's about somehow trying to strike a balance whereby there are like play when when children play there's no weakness in that and it goes back to the idea of co-playing with children because as children play if i'm in the play i absolutely can deliver learning to children in that play so just one very small example in my own practice um i used to do something called the pop-up and the pop-up is where what you do is you you work when you're working with children if you've got a confident reader you pop up a skill to them in their play so you just tell them a letter sound say so let's just say for an english the, the sound ooh made by two o's mm -hmm. now on my carpet time of phonics i i might be five or six seven eight weeks away from teaching that but this particular child is ready for it now in this moment and what i'm going to do i'm just going to say to them hey i've got a great idea check this out and because i'm the world of good things they will want to know what I'm going to show them. So I'll show them ooh. And then what do I do with that, do you think? Now I've shown that one confident child, I then do exactly the same like I do with a message center. I'll just say either don't go and show or go and show. Either way. And I can guarantee that that child will go around and he'll show as many children as he can because he now knows something that the other children don't. So the children become like tiny teachers and my children knew, and now, so this is not at the age of three, by the way, they were four, they were four and a half, five years old. But in that first term of English reception, all my children, no matter what their starting points were, knew all their letter sounds and they knew lots of the vowel diagraphs simply because we did lots of pop-up in our play. And we met, so again, it goes back to this idea of, the letter sounds or numbers being something joyful and not always i think again a curriculum can often cap children so we only teach to the curriculum and i know why we do it but sometimes it's good just to, to just blow their brains with something like here's the here's this is what the here's what this is the symbol for infinity and you show it show a child at the age of three 
the symbol for infinity and tell them what it is, if they're confident enough, they'll go around and tell children, other children. You've just given a little bit of magic, or you show them number 100, or you show them 100, 200, 300, 400. I wonder what's going to come next. And if we can get it, what's going to happen is something's going to happen to me. I will turn into a robot, because again, let's go back to this co-playing idea. If, if we know what's next, 100, 200, 300, 400, what comes next, if you know what it will be, I will turn into a robot. Will the children want to know what that next number is? Even if they're five, even if they're three years old, they will. And of course, then you turn into a robot. And what you're doing is, is then you're showing the children that this learning has these magical properties. And I would say it's just taking learning from always come to me to learn and going into the children's play. They are still learning. It just looks different to what adults are used to. Yeah. But I appreciate if you wrote teach a children something, in theory, they might have, they might know it, but they're not going to feel it. They're not. Yeah, and especially going, in times like COVID-19, they'll probably forget it because you absolutely. just wrote yeah. it to them. So, but on that practice, I'm not criticising, you know, it, it's, I understand the pressures of it, absolutely. But it's trying to have the dialogue that through play, learning happens and it's like big learning. And it's then at those times when we do do not play, making sure that what we teach goes into the play. So I talk about like tight teach, open play. So we teach a particular skill and then bang, we're into play and anything can happen. And then that probably doesn't answer the question particularly, but hopefully it does kind of show that if we open up a dialogue with, with, with parents about their own childhoods and what we believe play is, play isn't just about running around and having a great time. It's building children, it's building them who they are. Yeah, we actually talk a lot, don't we, about yeah. our own childhoods, <laughs> yeah. what her childhood yeah. was like in China, what my yeah. childhood was like in the UK, and then what the children's childhoods are like in China now and what children yeah. in the UK's childhoods are like now. So different. They all like go to after school club, parents pay extra money for them to learn and then they'll bring back lots of worksheet. Oh, teacher, look, I learned this. I do this yeah. worksheet in the learning center. And then that's how the parents judge uh, if yeah. their children learn things or not. Yes. So that's very difficult for us to... Like, because it's visible. Yeah. Because yeah. that's visible and play itself the learning within the play isn't always visible yeah but that's where if if we create this culture in which messaging is embedded it's amazing what children will show because what they'll do is they'll grab it just becomes part of their play and then often parents are quite happy because they go oh okay i didn't know they could do that but it's because they're doing it in play and play is just like this you know big explosion of skills yeah, the way i explain it to parents is it's kind of like you need a microscope and if if plays with germs you know you know germs are real but you can't see them without a microscope and so yeah. you need to look very closely to find yeah. it yeah yeah um, no, absolutely so what i want to talk about now you mentioned actually china in your book your first book i don't know if you remember that you say with the best uh, will in the world your half termy theme such as spring chinese new year People who help us undersee dinosaurs and so on are not the children's voice, they're yours. So I want to kind of talk about projects, how projects emerge in the classroom, yeah. how these topics get explored. Mm -hmm. People, even if they're in an emerging curriculum, they might start by observing children and yeah. see an interest in dinosaurs. 
-hmm. but then they take that interest yeah. and make it their own. Yeah. Okay. okay. Children need to learn this, learn yeah. this about dinosaurs, but not like following what children really want to learn about dinosaurs. Yes. So well, what, what's your kind of advice for how projects developed? Well, um, a really good question. Um, so, <laughs> so one of the things that I, you know, I, I, again, it goes back to this idea of the tight teaching open play. When children are playing, I like to, I like them just to explore what they want because because play is a project which is why i created play projects in 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 the second book um i often think when 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 projects are, are selected what happens is you might get a group of children that might show a fascination in sharks let's say and then that kind of then gets taken by the adult world and now everyone's talking about sharks because a certain group of children showed an interest in sharks but it wasn't everybody um, and I'm not criticizing that at all because it can be amazing, absolutely can be amazing, but you've got to be a really brilliant practitioner to be able to, to get everybody on board that project so they emotionally connect to it. Because if I don't care about sharks, all I'm going to feel is that those particular, you know, if I'm not in that group of children, well, their play is now dominating my play, you could argue. Um, I prefer it to be where play is seen as a project, an individual project that children take on. And they just, it's just, I don't know, play is its own project within itself. That's personally how I felt I got the very best out of children in terms of giving them a day that there was their own adventure. Now, the only project I probably would do is Adventure Island. And that's where I am raising it out of the ground for children, but they want to go there because it's this magical world. They don't have to go there, but I've yet to meet a child that doesn't want to go there. Yeah. It's not like you don't have to do Adventure Island. Children are not told to do it. You're just almost just showing it to them. Um, I, I, again, with, with projects, often what happens is, and let's just use uh, Chinese New Year, for example, what happens is, a, a school term is divided up into school years divided up into terms and half terms and it's only natural for adults to go well i've got six weeks i need to fill it with something mm -hmm. so they fill it with something but what they do then they just fill it with chinese new year and what they did they do that because within the curriculum it talks about an understanding of other cultures yeah but they'll do chinese and it is it is like doing chinese new year for an entirety of six weeks but within two or three days the children most children i know they're done with it now we need something else so the idea of that would be to try and create things far more open-ended if i'm that desperate to do some kind of project i might just sprinkle some nods to it i might go and co-play it for a while but i wouldn't allow it to dominate the rest of the play because to me it's not about just ticking things off that i've done with children i'm more interested in trying to not, not tick off, but see what children are trying to show me. Yeah. But it's part of this is play is itself not just an adventure for the children. It's an adventure for the adults. And along the way, you know, you know, I'm probably only halfway down the adventure of my adventures in play. There's, there's loads more for me to understand about it. But the people of this who have just stepped into play that will still want to do projects, for example, because that's their confidence because mm -hmm. it is about confidence you can't just ditch everything and then go into play it would all fall apart because you're not necessarily co-playing or experiencing co-playing enough so it's 
the idea really is to kind of maybe do start with a project and let go and then just see where, see where play leads and normally children's engagement in something will be far more fast far more exciting than what we plan for them because they are the best planners but of course it also goes back to trying to open up the magic world of story with them so there might be again nods to certain stories etc within our continuous provision but i prefer it not to dominate the space because i otherwise it's no longer a shared space it's children coming into my space and that's not how i see it being i see it much more as a shared autonomous space that we can all operate within so with that then how do you um go about your classroom environment yeah um obviously it's a big thing in reggio uh yeah. having the natural materials yeah. kind of removing the bright colors yeah. uh we used to be the kind of teachers where we had to, you know put the board up you know decorate the board and have yeah. it all yeah. the classroom yeah. a certain way but obviously yeah. now we're much more simplistic mm. uh, but what's your advice in terms of teachers especially coming to september soon and going back to school going to the classroom how do you start with your environment i tend to um well displays is one thing you know and 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 trying to i, I and again i put it in the first book about more muted tones um it's often described as a as a fad or a or what have you that that but but ultimately if it's going to be a shared space whose is it i much prefer it to feel like it's a room that you might find at home yeah you don't you don't well i think maybe when i was a teenager i probably went through having a, having a room that was a bit garish but <laughs> on the whole it's about trying to create this sense of calm when we come in it's calmness there's a there's a, a spirit if you like that we're all operating among amongst and you know a, a red lots of red and bright primary colors to me don't necessarily bring very much calm loads of print everywhere just becomes no one's really it's just too much to take in i prefer to have resources that are at hand so rather than having all the freezes of things up letter sounds etc i prefer them to be small in hand so that children collaborate around them mm. because if they're up on the wall and you've got those confident readers pointing up to the and they're going it's that one that one's but it's up there on the wall that's not helping anybody because the children that are less confident well where are you pointing if it's in my hand then i can yeah so i question what i do is I, I walk in and i question what i've got up and then i do something called dinner party provision shall i tell you about that yes please <laughs> so dinner party is, that in, is that in your book as well I, I feel no like it's not no I, I literally created it about three months ago <laughs> um but basically what it is is you pretend that you're having a dinner party and you're in, in your room and you're inviting the objects to your dinner party so what you do is so you let's just say you you're coming into your room and it's already kind of out you know laid out you've got resources and you go into let's say you've got some kind of play-doh area or malleable area and i would go into it and i would take each object in turn and say to them who are you and <laughs> obviously they don't talk back to you but you, <laughs> they would say i am let's say i try to think of a play-doh equipment now um I, oh no i am a cutter and you'd go okay so um who are you here with who are you at the dinner party with and so that's their opportunity to tell me which other things around do they work with can they be used with 
So let's just say there's a there's like a blunt knife next to it. Okay, so you could put the you could put the cutter down and cut round with the knife, for example, just as a and then I'd say, okay, and how many are you at the dinner party? Because I only invited a few of you. And if there's 20 cutters, there's too many. Because children can't choose from 20. It's too much. It doesn't need to be that many. And then I'll say to them, okay, so what um, what skills have you, have you got then that you're bringing to my party? So they've got to be able to tell me why they're there in terms of the skill. If it's If there's no skill in it or it's really limited, I don't put it out. And then I'd also say, okay, so what how how are the children going to use you so that goes back to our observations and seeing how objects get used with the seventh sense what sh what how are they going to use you and the final one is is well what gift have you got for me how can i use you and if if it can't answer those questions in my heart that i know it's going to bring something magical i take it and put it in the cupboard i don't keep it out so i literally go around each area asking what resources are supposed to be there as if it's a dinner party and i know it sounds bonkers but it's a really good way just to interrogate what you've got in your room i personally i'm not afraid of plastic stuff it doesn't bother me only if it's it is welcome and invited to my dinner party if it works at my dinner party come on in but if it doesn't out you go because you're not welcome it sounds a bit brutal, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it can really work because what you're doing is you're reflecting on how the objects can work, not just for the children, but for you. And I think that's one thing that often gets overlooked when we think about continuous provision. We often look to how the children can use it. But it's also how we can if we're going to co-play with children. So how am I going to interpret this? What have I seen children doing before that I know that they do it with? OK, so you offer a similar thing right you can stay but i would tend to lean towards more natural stuff if i can get my hands on it it depends on my budget and it depends if I, you know i live you know, the wood is literally just outside my window here there's like a, you know 70 acre wood just there so i can find sticks and conkers and all kinds of things that i might want to bring in but just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good yeah you know what i mean it's got to have something and some purpose to it otherwise it's not coming in yeah, and I, I agree. Uh, sometimes the natural and also let's say the Reggio classroom can be yes. a bad, but it's like, okay, I just get some stones, I get some twigs, I get, okay, look, we're going to learn yeah. so much now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, that isn't, um, none of that is a criticism at all. I know some people like to have lots of resources, but, and, you know, and, and, and it looking really nice and great that it looks really nice, but it's not about it looking nice. It's how are the children going to use it and how am I going to use it ultimately? Because you can have a really lovely environment, but very poor play and low level behavior. And, you know, just because just because it looks nice doesn't need necessarily mean learning is going to happen or play can happen. Even you see that a lot on Pinterest and places. Yes. Beautiful environments where you go, does children not do anything there? That's yeah. just that's just for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, like that. Like, yeah. Pinterest provision is is. But we're all driven by that because we all want the approval mm -hmm. yeah. of adults. That's and that goes back to our own childhoods, wanting wanting the approval of the adults. We carry that with us. But it's just, I think it's just a that like dinner party provision can, and I've done this 
probably in six or seven settings now and and the teams have found it really useful as, a, as an exercise just to go through and you can just take it and take it in turns and just do it as a team go in together and go right well well what what's you know, why are why are these training scissors here who are they for do we need them what skills are they bringing to us why is that you know why why have we got yellow paper why have we got and it sounds a bit endless but it always comes back to why is it there and if it can't give you a good reason out it goes yes yeah, really good mm. um that would have been really useful for us when we joined our school <laughs> <laughs> all right after the horses bolted yeah well that's because we we joined our school and it was a brand new school so yeah everything came new in august all these new toys right. brand new straight from the box and it was you know everyone had to kind of decide okay what do we pull out and what do we leave and we had a lot yeah of every possible topic that could possibly come up and so some people put everything out yeah you've got literally like every shelf full of yeah. multiple different trucks and toys and community yeah. helpers and houses and doll houses and some people went more simply and yeah. so i think it's a really good process and i think we'll take that back to our school as well and um, do you do that <laughs> again as well like midway through the year yeah, have a dinner party go. just go inside yeah. Yeah. Dinner party. what can come to the dinner party now yeah yeah <laughs> just don't do it for the staff um, <laughs> <laughs> um no i'm joking um yeah, you, I mean, we, I would encourage people to do it quite regularly. It, it's quite a good thing to do. I think the final thing on that, there's, there's two things probably. One is is to think about, let's just say you're tempted to put a doll's house out, for example, and maybe let's say it's a really lovely wooden one. But what what seventh sense can children bring to it? it will only really ever be a doll's house. It's very difficult to see through a doll's house because the adult world has presented it as a doll's house in the same way that, um, you know, the, the really big plastic uh, cars, for example, they're lovely to play with and they're fun, but it can only ever be a car. It's very difficult. It, it's almost like it has no hidden soul. So those things, I i try to use the phrase about if you want it make it with the children so if you want yeah. it make it so if you want a doll's house make it there's the wooden blocks make it if you want to have a car there's the woodwork station go and make it if you want so what you're doing is is you're bringing because to just to grow and grab a you know it's a bit like like that's why lego is so cool so this is from the magazine that I, I every month i make something just out of these pieces of, mag, of lego but if i want a spaceship and it's already formed in plastic all i have to do in terms of my brain is go and get the spaceship now i've got the spaceship and it can only ever be that spaceship i can't really message with it i can't but with this it can be anything and i've had to make it and go through the process of maybe getting frustrated i've got to have some resilience fine motor and now I've got my spaceship and now I can do, I as the adult have got an opportunity to message with the children about what they've created. And this, so in a way it's that thing of, if it's kind of preformed, I question it. So it's not to say it's wrong, it's just I question it because really we're trying to enable children, which is what I love about Reggio so much in terms of the creativity that it brings to children it's like we're going to teach you skills but it's your creativity your this is how you might use this you know this resource but actually how what you create with it 
is the process that you're going to go through and you're going to discover something about the world as, as, as you do it. So that's, that's the first thing I would add just to that. And the second thing is I don't call the continuous provision continuous provision. I call it the learning landscape because I believe the words continuous provision, they're, they're pretty meaningless really. What, what does it actually mean? Unless you're trained in early years, makes it really hard to explain to colleagues. So I talk about learning landscape and that landscape I rebrand. So I don't talk about a malleable area because it doesn't mean anything to children. I don't talk about a home corner because what does the words, what do the words home corner mean? They don't really mean it. if you're three or four, it doesn't really mean anything. So I rebrand them. So I try to sprinkle a bit of magic over it. So like the home corner, I would call it something like the land of far away. Mm -hmm. Because children will want to go to the land of far away. I don't, I don't call my water area the water area. I call it water world just because the name so funny <laughs> is tempting you in as it's suggesting that something magic is going to happen yeah Whereas water area it's a bit like so the message center is a rebrand of the writing table because if i say to a five-year-old let's go to the writing table yeah they're just going to look at me and go really <laughs> if i say really enthusiastically to the message center let's go mm -hmm. they're away they're gonna come they're absolutely gonna come really funny on the same page because we've been planning our summer camps at our school mm -hmm. and then one of the one of the weeks we were planning was the water oh, week oh. and we called oh, okay, it water yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic there you go yeah yeah it's that principle you know it's like you uh, um uh, i used to call my carpet time carpet kingdom because yeah. i want you to come to somewhere special it's not just this you know, if we're gonna if I'm gonna take you away from your play to come and do something with me now, all together, come to my kingdom, come to Carpet Kingdom. Yeah, we call ours morning meetings, which I really don't like. It's so formal, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Why we have a meeting with children? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So it's it that 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 part of it is looking at the language that we use. So that that's another tip that I would pass on. That's really good. I think that would really help teachers too. Yeah. Um. Do you have any more questions? So uh, I think I. We talk about a like, dinner party. Now I want to talk about end of year party. You know, <laughs> end of year parties. Yeah, so it, it's basically just like the graduation celebration. Graduation yeah. celebration. You know, K student they're moving up to grade one. You know, I'm not sure if UK will do that, but in China, lots of the preschool will do that. So yes. they literally take away children's one month of playtime or study time. Yeah. Let the yeah. children practice rehearsal practice rehearsal and then yeah. choose one day let the children go on the stage and then perform and then that's it so what do you think of this like end of year party do you support that i guess it goes back as well to the nativity the, yeah it, it would be the nativity version of yes yeah. yeah so in in um so there's a couple of things so in in kind of going play now i talk about how i i didn't do nativities as best as I could. I tried to talk to the parents right at the start so that they knew I wasn't going to do them. And I did that because I felt it took at least three weeks out when what I wanted to do was co-play with the children. And the moment I said to the parents, you know, do you want your children to be really confident readers and writers? This is now going back to what parents want. So you're kind of using that as a little 
weigh in then or do you want them to stand up and be a sheep <laughs> you know because it's going to take all of this time what we did was we offered them um a um i can't record it now but it was like a we offered them a play but as in they came in to play so we opened up the doors to our setting we had we had a little bit of music on and the, they came and played with the children so it was open to the family and they came and played as opposed to coming in and watching a performance because the other thing with performances is unless you're really confident you're not really going to have a great time in school for a month because yep. you're going to be dreading doing it and every time you see the videos it's just kids like singing a yeah. song but i also understand uh, but you'll notice how I'm not criticizing. I'm not criticizing as I understand culturally. It's also important. It's important to us as parents to be able to, you know, uh, feel pride in our children and and celebrate what we feel is a you know has been a really successful su successful year. I, I just hurt on a very personal level. Uh, it's not something that I would actively go and do with children with with children i would rather spend the time co-playing with them and trying to celebrate their successes in another way it's also in england it's creeping in quite a bit because it's it, the, uh, the, the americans often have a kind of the graduation preschool graduation etc and i understand why it's nice for the staff to say goodbye of course it is and so again that's what i'm being very careful not to criticize it because this is just something that, that i personally was I, I didn't necessarily feel like it really benefited but some other people might come along and say yes it does because the children feel great about it and and, and likewise just that in my own soul i just i just didn't really feel it and i what i wanted to do was just have a great time playing with the children which is what we did and you know come christmas everyone was still really happy and they'd had family time with their families coming into the setting well i think your advice is pretty spot on you know um talk to the parents Tell them your point of view yeah. and maybe even talk to the children and say, what do you want to do? How would you like to spend this time? Would you like to put on a show for your parents? Yes. Would you like to just have your parents come in and play together? Yes. So what would you like to do? Yes. So, um, and we, so on that play day, we sometimes, what we might do, we might say, learn two songs. And we would say to the, to the parents, well, we'll we're going to sing a couple of songs, but come like, but songs that we knew that the parents knew, let's all sing them together. It's not a performance. It's a joint we're coming together to celebrate because because also the thing is often what happens is in education over time children get individualized from one another it becomes about our route to university whereas play is solidarity we're all in it together children don't see differences in that way they don't they you know it's they they don't they just see play and they see one another as a as a, like a togetherness in it so by by again when you do a, like a nativity play it does become very individualized whereas if you do something together you you keep play so it's just trying to sort of say i, I like the idea you ask the children you say to the parents you're going to do something different listen to their views and then do what the children want to do maybe even the parents <laughs> that'd be nice <laughs> <lose> job. <laughs> My my mum's uh, Mary. My dad's Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get the parents' address up and do it. There you go. Yeah, do one for the do one for the children. Yeah, turn the, yeah. Turn the tables. 
Oh, yeah, I think, any more questions? No more, thank you. I think, I think, wow, we've gone on for 20 minutes. That's longer than All right. I, I, I find it really hard to stop when I get going. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very wow. much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, and hopefully we can talk again soon, maybe when we're back in China too. Um, and then we're going to buy your next book. Uh, yeah. It's on our Amazon list. Uh, we'll get our next paycheck. That comes. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a way, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's been really great talking to you. Likewise, yeah, and yeah, and great to talk to you. And um, and hopefully it's uh, you know it's 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 sort of empowered you for when you go go back go back and get stuck back into play and be with children again. And and you know all the very best. And, and you know I hope you get back there soon. And yeah, go and get stuck into play. We will do. And we're going to use some of those tips you gave us. Yep. Good, good. But don't worry, we'll we'll make sure everyone knows it came from you. <laughs> no, <don't> you? <laughs> Honestly, really don't need to worry about that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Take care. All right. Bye bye now. Bye bye. -bye.